It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. It's the 230th episode of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week, I'm talking with Insane Comics creator Lou Frontier, who works with a great team to put together the book Wicker, a horror comic that I just think would be ideal for Halloween. And he's involved with other projects as well, including American Bison and a few more that he lists during our conversation. Lou talks about how the comic came together, as well as the various characters, including some really intense and scary characters that I'm sure will scare you as much as they did me. One word of caution... During this interview, Skype didn't quite work up to its usual standards, so Lou's voice sometimes sounds a little scratchy, but if you turn the volume up a little higher, I think you'll understand what he has to say, so be sure to listen. There's a lot to get to, so let's get on with the show. I'm talking today with Lou Frontier, the creator of a great horror book from Insane Comics called Wicker, and another book as well. Which book is that, Lou? That's American Bison. It was created by Steve Benton. I wrote the first two issues for it. Oh, you did? Okay, great. Because it's in the in the issue zero, which is the one that I saw of Wicker. You also have a American Bison back story in there, too. So, well, why don't we get to Wicker first? I have to say that Wicker is one of those words that I don't normally associate with horror. Right, right. When I see Wicker, I think Wicker objects are all very benign and very nice, and they fill up the house real nice. They might add dust, but that's about the only <laughs> horrible thing they really do. But you take a very different take on Wicker. Do you want to give us a basic idea what Wicker is all about? Well, it starts in the late 1700s, and it follows this woman. She's a basket maker. Mm-hmm. And she lives in a town that's very narrow-minded, and I assume as like a lot of villages in her day. And uh, she has a daughter that is epileptic. And whenever she goes into one of her spells, you know, um, the town perceives it as being this pagan, wicked act. You know, mm-hmm. they fear that. Mm-hmm. And based off the ignorance of that village, you know, uh, they do some pretty cruel things to the little girl, and it sets the mother down this terrible path to actually finding old gods and becoming a witch herself. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, I guess my mentality when I was writing it was, you know, she put so much of her life into these baskets because, you know, she was so limited by her day and age mm-hmm. that uh, it would be one of the things that she could really pull from to use to terrify people. Mm-hmm. Now I've got to say, of course, it starts out with a very fairy tale way of going. It's almost like a Hansel and Gretel walking through a forest. Yes. Was that your intention? Did you want to make this kind of a fairy tale setup? I wanted to homage a certain feeling brought on by a grim fairy tale world. Pull from that a little bit, because in my mind, you know, what better way to set up the type of story it is than to throw two little kids out in the woods looking for their grandfather's secrets. Mm -hmm. Now, it's created by you, too. Where did the concept for Wicker come from? Well, 
honestly, it was really, it was really simple. Uh, like I, I was thinking of just words, and I liked wicker. I thought it had a, you know, the way it rolls off the tongue. It just, I liked it. I, I wanted to, I wanted to make a story about it, but I didn't know what kind of story it would be. I played around with a few plots, and then I thought, well, Wicker Witch. Well, that that sounds really good too, and it mm-hmm. kind of just went from there. And I built around this this character, this woman. You know, she's torn. She's the monster of the series, mm-hmm. but she's got her own depth that you know we're exploring now as we are getting uh, further along with the issues. She's really tormented woman. Mm-hmm. Now you've got three issues out so far, right? You got issue zero and issue one and number two, correct? Yes. Okay, that's good. Now, as the cover of issue zero is is real striking. Sometimes I think horror is misnamed. I think it's terror rather than horror. And I think that cover is really more terror than horror as far as that goes. And I don't know if you would agree with that assessment, but there's one striking thing about the main character, the witch, is that she has no eyes. In fact, it looks like the wicker has tied her eyelids shut. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that's, wow, that's scary, I have to tell you. In my mind, whenever, like, we were doing, um, me and Jason were doing concepts and designs, he actually was just fooling around with what could we do with wicker as a material to, you know, apply to the character. She's got, you know, like, wicker tentacles, and, you know, she can use it in many ways, but whenever he came up with the idea, well, let's sew her eyelids shut with it, you know, we needed a reason to do so, and it, we thought, you know, what well, would be nice the idea behind it being that she is so grief-stricken by her own life and by the world around her mm-hmm. that she would rather not see it at all, you know. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you've got the two kids, and you've got the grandfather who is axe-wielding, lives out in the middle of a forest, which is a perfect place for these kinds of things to take place. And when we first see him, they get to his door, the two kids do, and they start knocking on the door rather ferociously trying to get in. We see him standing there holding the axe, and he's a little bit older, and he's quite the authority figure. And anybody who holds an axe, you kind of have to respect. So I like that about that about him. The idea of the family and all these kinds of things, it was his daughter that's the Wicker Witch, right? Oh, no, no. It's oh, it that, is? Okay. It's actually, and that comes into play a little bit later, but uh, it's actually a woman uh, that oh. he was living around when he was a young boy. Okay, because he knew her very well. She kind of appears in like a nightgown at one point with kind of reddish eyes. And is that the Wicker Witch that no, appears to her name? Yeah, that's uh, his sister, actually. Okay, so now, okay, that, I want to make sure I got all these things straight so people know. That's Alexis. That's his sister. She was a victim of the witch? Yes, the okay. first one. Mm-hmm. See, the witch, she takes on these people, and she'll lay claim to them, and then basically uses them to torment, particularly this one family. Mm-hmm throughout generations and uses his sister against him mm-hmm. for his whole life. Mm-hmm. And then you bring a real surprise to me. You introduce a different character than I never expected it, which is, of course, right here we leave all the uh, Grimm's fairy tales behind, and we get a character by the name of Red Bear. Do you want to talk about him a little bit? Yeah, Red Bear, he's an interesting guy. He's got a lot of depth to him, and he owes, he owes a lot to Finn, the grandfather. Uh, for some things that come into play later on in issue three. Um, but he is from a tribe of 
skinwalkers. Uh, issue Zero has been out long enough for me to say that, I suppose. And he's able to transform. He was from, you know, a tribe of, they were all skinwalkers, and they spent most of their lives woven form. Um, and um, the witch also, I mean, they lived around her territory, and she plagued them as well, getting them to thin their own numbers out. So he's got quite the axe to grind with her, so to speak, as well. Because <laughs> that's why is that why he's carrying an axe? He's got an axe to grind with. Oh, everybody does at this point. <laughs> <laughs> now it, you identify as this taking place in 1763 in Andover, Massachusetts. Yeah. Which is going to, I guess at that time of the country's existence, there were Indians in that part of the country. Oh, yes. We don't really tend to think about how much they played a role in the things at times, but yeah, they were there. And, you know, I mean, I, I wanted to make sure that I brought um, everybody into frame a little bit, give credit where credit's due, because I feel like too often in any type of media, things are obscured to solely being America being like white man's land. Mm-hmm. The truth gets lost in it. So it helps. We don't, I think, in comics have enough strong ethnic characters, and it, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's real shame. Now, do you refer to him as an Indian, or is there a term that you prefer? Is that not correct to use that term oh, these days? Uh, Native American Indians, uh, you know, I mean, they're not dot. I try to say Native American as much as possible, uh, the indigenous people of America. Okay. So I'll make sure we get him right because he's kind of the counterbalance. He's the one that has the mystical abilities to be able to take on the witch at this point, which is, thank goodness he's there because otherwise it would be, whew, there wouldn't be a balanced thing going on. So it's great that he's there. And he does a lot of things in the story. He's involved in as far as keeping the family safe and has taken on the witch. And I really like the fact that he's as noble as he is and he sees mystical things and they don't bother him so much because he's kind of got mystical. In fact, at one point, it almost looks like he's a vampire. Is that accurate? Or he, no, he's more of a werewolf, isn't he? Yeah, he's a werewolf. He can stop his uh, transformation at various points just for effect. He can be all the stages, I guess, that you could have imagined between man and wolf. Whether it be werewolf or full wolf, mostly man, he doesn't really have any limits in that. He oftentimes, I would say, probably would feel more comfortable being a wolf. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Because at one part in the issue zero, he takes on this mystical creature. It's kind of got a skull and almost like a bear kind of a look to him. Yes, that's the wicker bastard. Okay. And what is that creature? Yeah, well, he's actually a, a preacher. And he's a really bad guy. He was alive in the mid-late 1700s, early 1700s. He did a lot of terrifying things in his own right and used God as his soapbox to do so. He's a real misogynistic kind of guy, mm-hmm. control freak. And finally, the witch got him and turned him into this thing. He's just completely at her will now. Wow. So um, it was like his own punishment. It's an ongoing punishment. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I like the fact that, well, he takes this guy on. And, and I haven't read past issue zero, so probably other things have gone on since in the in the second book. And other tales coming up. So I, I like the way that this is mystical. And I like the way that it's, well, let's just say that the good people get into, quote unquote good, let's just say the main people get into trouble. Towards the end of issue zero, the family is in dire danger at that point oh yeah 
And I just, you know, they're actually in something of a cave. And the witch likes to make use of all the different stalactites and stalagmites and things like that. So they're in quite dangerous in there. And, you know, you leave it at a really interesting point where things are the worst they could possibly be. So, of course, that's always the way to do a comic, is to lead us to a place where we need to come back to see the next issue so we know what's going to happen. Right. So it's well written, and you mentioned the artist, and I think he does a great job on it, too. I think that your plotting goes along at a nice pace. You know, lots of little twists and turns along the way that keep us interested. And his art is really good, too, about it. He makes interesting use of color. Like in the cave, everything's sort of reddish, and when it's outside, it's more blue and green. So all those kinds of things are happening with it. And as far as like, like being a comic that I think people would really like to read, particularly this would be great around Halloween. I think this is just an ideal. Oh, yeah. yeah, we were actually, uh, whenever we planned the launch of the comic, uh, we were aiming to release it on Halloween last year. But, you know, we uh, hit a couple deadline issues and had to, mm-hmm. had to hold it back until December. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason's last name is Them? Yes. Jason. Pencils and inks. And colors is not by Jason, actually, but by DC Alonzo it is. So did you guys work together on this, or did you kind of come up with a script, or did you guys all coordinate this? How did you guys bring the book together? Well, I started off with the script. I was kind of going at it alone for a good bit, and uh, I met Jason on Facebook, and we were both bouncing in between projects and wanted something to work on that was steady and I talked to him and uh, he seemed really interested in the idea so we got started pretty quickly and originally we had a penciler I mean this guy's a one-man wrecking crew uh, Matt Walker mm-hmm. he does pencils inks colors letters the whole shebang and he was originally our colorist and letterer mm-hmm. but he had some issues that had caused him to leave the comics so we picked up a really good guy out of uh, Scotland named Alex Giles and he does our letters now and DC Alonso out of Spain and he's an amazing colorist so I was really lucky to have a team like that behind me on this thank goodness for the internet mm-hmm. I help out with a book too an uh, independent book where the, uh, the the artist is in North Carolina the creator is here in Bryan in Florida and the colorist is in the Philippines right and so you, all these people who might never have ever created a comic together, you guys get to combine your efforts and make a great book. Are you making plans maybe to meet up at some point and talk? Because, you know, as creators, it's, the Internet provides a great ability for you guys to interact. But, you know, people always want to make that personal connection. Have you guys thought about that? Or is that something that's kind of out of, considering how far apart you guys are, is that kind of out of the ability for you guys to make happen? Oh, well, it's naturally out of range at the moment, but we've all talked about various cons we could meet up at and Hmm. series hits a certain point, then I would assume that that would be more viable for us. Uh, Jason and I have nearly met a couple times. We uh, missed each other at a couple signings and things like that. Oh, so it's, uh, but it's social media in itself is an amazing platform for comics. Oh, yeah. and, you know, I mean, it's broadened the game so much because those that before would be held back by either their locations or what have you, I mean, are just automatically thrown into the spotlight. It gives people so much room to grow and uh, grow their brands you know so i mean it's mm-hmm. been a really great tool for me mm-hmm. great now let's go over and see which books are available there's number zero 
and there's number one, and then there's number is a, there's a Wicker Storytellers. Is that number two? Yeah, it's kind of its own thing. Mm-hmm. It follows in like the Wicker Storytellers. It's a collection of various shorts. Some of them are well, one's like ten pages long, and then the short is two pages even. And it all just shows tidbits of the people that encounter the witch or how they're affected by the witch throughout time. Mm. And uh, it's the first issue of Storytellers, but it follows along with everything that's happening in the main series. So it fleshes out things that have gone on in the comic. Right. Yeah, very good. Okay. What's the difference now between issue zero and issue number one? Issue number one follows issue zero? Yes. Issue one picks up a couple hours after issue zero. Okay. And carries it on and introduces some new characters and lets you get a vibe for this world. It doesn't directly answer all the questions of issue zero. Instead, it, you know, I used it to build the world a little bit more and show you how expansive it can be. You know, Because in issue one, we entered the Deadlands and we awaken old gods and find out the witch has been up to a lot more than mm-hmm. what met the eye originally. Mm-hmm. Now you show the minister in his human form on the cover of Wicker Number 1. That's actually his son. Oh, that's his son. Okay, I see. I haven't got a chance to read one yet. So that's his son. That's interesting. Yeah, and, you know, the the books, uh, it's all about revenge. That's the main theme throughout the book. Everybody, they're all, like, in this web together. They're all weaved together, and Mm -hmm. they all have such hate, such hatred for one another. Mm. they got to find ways to, I don't know, there's no group of people that is without their own sins or anything like that. Everybody is either trying to leave something behind or atone for something. And Hmm. it's a fun little theme to play with. Now let's talk about the timing of things. When did you get Wicker number zero together and out? Oh, goodness. <laughs> it was a while back? Yeah, no, it's a... I tell you, man, I, Wicker was my first comic, a full comic that I did create around. And originally, we were set to publish with these guys out of Cincinnati, a great little publisher uh, called uh, Head Shrinkers Press. Mm. And one thing led to another, and it fell off for a second. And then I met James C. Munch of Insane Comics and talked to him and... He was on board with it and was willing to give it a shot. And then we just had to start meeting our own deadlines from that point, which was a little tricky because mm-hmm. you meet some people on social media and you you, you only, I, it's pretty normal, I suppose, but people, you only see them through that facet. So you can't really take in the fact that, say, I'm working on four other series and work a day job and have three kids. Or, you know, same for everybody on the team. You know, we all have kids and work outside of mm-hmm. comics. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we had to really rev up our communication skills pretty quickly to mm-hmm. start hitting these deadlines. And mm-hmm. Now, did you meet James at a convention? How did you, get, you got involved with Insane Comics that way? No, I was just kind of cruising the net, you know, <laughs> and I seen some of the comics popping up in my feed and they all looked really good they seemed really focused and they had a a good plan to hit the market with you know insane comics does a contour and they've just got a lot of really good creators on board and whenever i reached out to them they were really responsive so i mean it it just kind of took shape after that very cool now you got three issues 
How are you doing beyond that? Do you have other issues in the works? If so, you know, when do you plan to have them come out? How's this going forward now that you've got the three done? Well, right now we're working on issue number two of Wicker for the main series, and we're working on issue two of Storytellers, and both of them are expected to come out within the next two months. Cool. And they're going along really good. Um, and then I've got the second issue of American Bison's coming out in June. Mm-hmm. And it's a collection of short stories like Latika. I'm on, you know, for the flip side of uh, Wicker issue zero. And they're all really fun. Steve was a really fun guy to get to work with. And he has a really cool character that he got to let me play around with and develop a little more. And so beyond that, outside of the work I'm doing with Insane, I've got um, Metamora, which is like a space sci-fi action horror comic, mm-hmm. kind of in vain of dead space a little mm-hmm. bit. You know, I mean, it was, uh, it was certainly an influence on it. And uh, it plays around with a lot of fun themes about humanity and what it is that not only makes us human, but makes us good humans Mm -hmm. and then i'm also working on a superhero comic right now Mm. called the swan song and it's a drama really it pulls its punches a little bit and really is a little more dialogue heavy um it Mm -hmm. follows a an aging retired superhero as he really struggles to find his place in this Mm -hmm. world that's all about what he was Mm mm-hmm Cool. Okay, Insane Comics has American Bison and and Wicker. So where are the other two coming from? Are they coming from Insane, or are you doing stuff for other folks as well? Well, right now, I've got, um, well, with the Swan Song, I'm going to self-publish it. Okay. And uh, I'm in the process of pitching Metamora right now around. Okay. Oh, okay. Very good. So, man, you're a busy guy then. You've got all these books in the works. This is a great thing. Before I let you go, well, first thing I want to say is to get the two books from Insane Comics, you go to insanecomics.com, and they have a store there, and you can buy them either digitally or in print versions. Of course, the print has to get mailed to you, but you can download the digital ones too, so you can access all those from there. Let's talk a little bit about American Bison. Now, it's a fascinating book because I read the backup in issue number zero of Wicker, and it's really fascinating this bison is kind of like he's anthropomorphized he's kind of a, a human bison and he gets involved and his, his time schedule has to do it looks like is it in the civil war or yeah it's, kind of it's around the civil war there's parts of it that take place during the civil war and there's parts mm-hmm. that expand past the civil war mm-hmm. it follows a uh, an anthropomorphic bison like you said his name's john bison he's really struggling as a character you know at first when you're reading it there's no real rhyme or reason as to why this bison is walking talking and kind of pissed off you know it just kind of is and so you get right into the struggle that is his existence you know trying to identify with his human traits as well as his you know animalistic traits as well do you have an idea as to how that happened right Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, what, as far as American Bison goes, you've got like one issue of that out, and you've got other issues planned as well? Yeah, Steve and I, have, we've put so much planning into this off and on and off and on. Right now, he's working on issue two, and I'm working on some other things, and we just finished up the, uh, well, the direct issue two that follows the first issue, and the, the second issue, technically, that we released 
is a collection of short stories that follow, um, like, uh, there's a crossover with Wicker, even, where the bison and the witch meet. There's uh, just a lot of little standalone stories about him and dealing with his world, because it is a world of mysticism mm-hmm. for him to even take part in it. I know you've got an American Indian in this story as well. Oh, yes. Does this take place also, if they're going to cross over, it must, do they, does it take place like in Massachusetts area as well? No, he was just uh, kind of on a mission out that way. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, this takes place in the West, Midwest area. Okay. And he's kind of in this really, really strange position where he's got the Native Americans, you know, and they're kind of, well, everybody's killing bison off, you know. Mm-hmm. They're, they're using them, you know, as a natural resource or just using them for sport. And mm-hmm. so when he is thrown into this, there's a lot of strange things happening. Like mm-hmm. there's bison being crucified without their eyes and mm-hmm. all sorts of strange little nuances that take place throughout the first issue. And he's trying to figure it all out while we're reading it. Mm-hmm. I like the way you ended. You ended, we know what's going to happen, and I'm not going to spoil it by any means, but there's a really good, let's just say that the bison's in some danger, but the bison has a good response to it, and we don't necessarily have to see the response, but it's a it's fin at the end, so we have a fair idea how this is going to wrap up. Right. So it's a very nicely done story. I like different. And, of course, the, the artist you were mentioning, Steve Benton, his name is, right? So we want to get his name in there, too. And it's a really good books. These are very different. I love variety. I love to find something that expands my imagination and also takes me places I don't usually go. And that's why I'm, I'm always interested in the locations of things. I like the way that he's drawn. The bison is drawn really well. And there's all kinds of good things. I see these things and I think TV shows for some reason. But okay. I, you know, we'll see. You know, you never know how these things go. You might get optioned or something might happen and all kind of good things are going on. So you've got all these good projects going on. And again, to get these things, you can go to Insane Comics. Are you going to be going to any conventions this uh, year, the rest of the year? I've got a few planned out. Um, I'm going to Derby City in Louisville. And beyond that, it's really also up in the air. There's a, I was saying about trying to touch base and uh, during the Kansas City Comic Con. Mm-hmm. And just a few other ones, a little spread out. But if uh, people were to take interest and follow me on Twitter, at Lou Frontier, I would be more than glad to. Very good. Motivated. So that's probably the best way to keep track of what you're up to is to go on the Twitter then. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah, okay. So that's a good thing. So, well, Lou, you're doing a good job. I enjoyed Wicker and also American Bison. And you did some lettering on another project, too. Why don't we briefly mention that? What was that one? Oh, it was uh, Jojo King's Reapers. Reapers, okay. And there's two issues of that, in my understanding. Yes, it's, it's a really fun story. It's got a so, yep. You got, you're a very busy guy, probably trying to work to make a living and pay for all these good things as well. So I often think busy people make good stories because you have all these stories to tell as you've gone through everything right. day by day. You had to focus on that. So. Oh, yeah. The kids keep me imaginative. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. Well, Lou, you know, I like what you're doing. Keep it up. And we'll have to talk again sometime when other things come into being. Because I like the way you tell stories. You have a nice, fast-paced way of doing it. And I like the artists that you're working together with. They make things really interesting and really pop off the page. So I think you're doing a great job. So keep it up. Well, thanks, man. Thank you. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy. And I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man... I'm flesh and blood, I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but it's a symbol. 
get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. And that's it for another episode of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Be back next week, but until then, keep reading your comics.